Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, sir. Good morning. So I'd like to start off uh, today just talking through, it was a conversation I've had recently. And uh, as always, I think my wife just spoke it naturally and things clicked, but I'll the, the conversation is one that it's the same theme I've had a few times with, with different people. Um, but in, in this situation, the, the, the husband I was talking to at the time was just talking about some of the difficulties he's had uh, in their relationship because uh, his, his wife is more free, creative, and uh, he's more on the ordered uh, side of things. And so anyway, the gist is they've had tension in their marriage for years because he is, is definitely more of sort of that, uh, keep things clean in order. Everything has its place personality. And, uh, she's more of the, eh, you know, things will end up where they are and, uh, it's fine. Uh, We'll just get used to it. And it, and it seems silly, but I've, I've heard this conversation, the same theme repeatedly where the, the husband and wife just have this conflict and they can't seem to get through it. And I hear that in, in situations like this and I immediately think of our conversations and I'm like, it's dominion. <laughs> the, the answer is dominion. I don't think... <laughs> the answer is always dominion. The answer is always dominion, let's be serious. But it's, it's that like, well, I, I don't think... Uh, maybe you don't have to many with your spouse or something, but I'm just not sure how to say that to this person or how to help them through it and help them self-discover that. And of course, as I'm, I'm talking to my wife at, at, in one of these conversations and she, we were talking about just the, f- the fortunate thing to our life now, which is, as you know, we haven't always had a wonderful marriage and we were reflecting on raising our kids together and how we seem to just be in lockstep with one another and, and how wonderful that is. Uh, and, and, and just reflecting on the joy that comes from that and, and how we haven't always been there. And she was like, well, the, the question is, or the difference in our life is I actually care what you think. And immediately I was like, well, that's like, that's the question I feel like I, I should be asking these husbands is really what it comes down to is, does your wife actually even care what you have to say? Like, if you're trying to tell her you have this frustration or this tension, uh, does your spouse care what you have to say? And I think that's a great question to start off with. Um, it speaks obviously to dominion. My next response to her was like, oh, that's a great point. That's totally dominion. You know, she's like, oh, here we go again. But <laughs> I'm curious, you know, you know, I, I've just, I've heard several, several uh, people in their marriage have these tensions where it seems, seems clear they have a frustration that uh, they, they maybe don't know how to express or they've expressed multiple times and it just seems to be falling on deaf ears. How do you help couples work through that? How do you help them diagnose that? How do you help them uh, kind of problem solve out of that? What, what's your approach to that? That's good. That's that's a great question, Kathy and I have actually just walked uh, 
an engaged couple through this last week. So we don't follow the, there's an old joke. It's probably not that funny, but it says uh, <laughs> there's two keys for a happy marriage. First for the husband, first number one, uh, let your wife think she always gets her way. And then number two, let her get her way. And then <laughs> you have a happy marriage. Nothing to it. Uh, we just lost 50% of our listeners. <laughs> I know. That's fine. We're always interested in thinning out the flock here. And uh, we'll, we'll keep driving them away till we're down to about three people. We, uh, so we'll, let's talk about this thing. It's called mirroring. And uh, it's probably, humanly speaking, most effective or the best thing that Kathy and I uh, learned early on in our marriage. Hmm. So this next summer, we will arrive at 40 years together, Kathy and I. Wow. So uh, 40 years of just nonstop bliss. <laughs> <laughs> you just found the right person and all was well. That's right. I'll tell you what, if you can joke about it, it means that you, you do have a good marriage. And we really have a very very good marriage uh, it's really it's a great marriage we really love one another enjoy one another have fun so on and so forth but there are obviously uh speed bumps and difficulties of mirroring so here is mirroring and and um show you what has to do with this situation because technically yes the problem is dominion um and dominion in terms of one uh, that means that means authority influence and one's influences well if you, if the world will run the way i want to run it it would just be generally it'd be more of a uh, i don't think it's a mess i just think it's more spontaneous and it's just kind of stuff's laid around but i always kind of intuitively can find where things are and the other says uh, well, it was the world was run the way I want it to be run. Now, this is my father, by the way, German engineer. Uh, the trains would always run on time, and uh, the hammer would always be put back on the wall. <laughs> so I grew up. One of the things I remember often, my dad, where the bike is the hammer. <laughs> Because uh, uh, four boys, we didn't think we didn't put things back. That's not the word he chose was adventure. <laughs> so I get it. And this happens all the time. So the reason that mirroring is helpful is it probably is one of the chief contributors to uh, the fact that uh, a recent survey of 522 couples shows that Within the year or two of their marriage, their marriage is already beginning to plateau. And uh, so you and I go back, we have a long history. And uh, so that probably wouldn't be the case so much as you were saying early on in your marriage. But your marriage instead has really followed this fantastic bumpy and then it's, it's really grown. But most of them tend to plateau. And they plateau primarily because... Uh, the couples start to uh, emotionally uh, separate and become distant. And it's often because there are just things that we don't agree on and we can't find a way to agree on them. We can't even, and they really plateau and become troublesome when we didn't even have ways to talk about them. 
And of course, in the worst case, they come to the point where you just get so fed up, you think you'd be happier not being together than together. So the way that this is addressed most effectively, in our opinion, is mirroring. And here's mirroring. In effect, mirroring is dying to yourself and asking questions until your spouse sees himself or herself in you. Let me say that again. Mirroring is where, I'll just use Kathy and I, or this couple that we're actually uh, coaching and they're officiating their wedding uh, next weekend. It's where um, I ask questions of Kathy to such a degree that she, she can look at me and go, oh, you really get how I'm feeling. Yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Yeah, yes. Now, here's what's important with mirroring. It doesn't necessarily solve a problem. It creates the two becoming one in order to solve the problem. So, uh, so I'll just, uh, here's why mirroring is difficult. It doesn't set out to fix the person. Because mirroring is returning authority to such a good degree that you go, I'm not sure what the problem is. So I'm, I'm not setting out to fix it. I am setting out to know you. That's it. To know you. Far better than I do right now. So let's take the couple. Well, first, here's a story from my own life. And then um, then we'll talk about the couple where uh, he's, he's more neat and she's less neat. Um, so I was raised in this uh, German family, four boys. And uh, my father, I called him the towering oak, maybe even a sequoia. I mean, towering respect for him. Um, but, uh, and my father was Phi Beta Kappa straight A's through his PhD. Now, I used to watch the postman carefully, the mailman, because I got none of my dad's DNA. I'm trying to figure out where exactly I came from. <laughs> and, uh, but they swear I'm, I'm his <laughs> child. <clears throat> but, but he, he also, you know, he could build things that uh, built our patio, redid cottages, could just... So he was this professor who built things, who was an engineer, eventually became a mathematical engineer for <clears throat> forward planning, 20 years out for Dow Chemical Corporation, and so on and so forth. But my father did not tolerate anything less than 100%. So as a young man, I once went out to help him build a patio, and I... Uh, you know, Hammer struck the nail once, twice, three times, three times, not a lady, three times, boop, bends over. Try another one, bends over. He's trying to get this thing done. He finally goes, damn it, give me the hammer. And uh, just finish this thing, bang, bang, bang. So I grew up with this, this kind of this non-conscious, I can't do all these things. I've got 10 thumbs. I'm just, I'm incompetent. Now, I don't feel that way in a lot of areas, but there are certain areas when I would get around my family that I would feel 
I'm just incompetent. So I meet Kathy Jane Tipton, who becomes my wife, but while I'm courting her, we're up in uh, Michigan and we were um, working, both of us in Louisiana, we make the trip up to the, to Michigan and, uh, you know, we get, we're married uh, and she, Kathy begins to notice, what happens to you when you go to Michigan? Mm. And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, um, well, see, that took a couple of years of her asking questions until I finally began to, I could, I could begin to understand what I couldn't understand on my own because she mirrored, she would ask questions where I didn't feel, I, sometimes I did feel threatened, but I was willing to go into feeling threatened to try to discover uh, why I became uptight, short with her, um, and more emotionally distant. And a lot of it just had to do with no fault of my father, but this, uh, this fear of failure. And uh, so that was, that was instrumental in early on in our marriage for Kathy, who she, she genuinely is my best friend. There's no doubt about that. And actually, we were friends, good friends, before we ever fell in love, which that was a benefit for me and for her. But for me especially, because I had been engaged once before because I was more in love with marriage than I was with the woman. And I was just in this all-fired rush to grow up. Didn't know, didn't know how far away I was from growing up. I shouldn't have been engaged. So broke it off and all that jazz. But with Kathy, we were just good friends. Lived in apartments next to one another. All worked for the student ministry and so on and so forth. But we became better friends and best of friends as she mirrored. So mirroring is when, if I were to reverse the roles, if I saw her uptight, it'd be, uh, uh, hey, and generally it comes out when someone blurts something, and it might be something like, uh, so I'm kind of sort of kind of make up the conversation and pretend that Kathy's the one that's uptight so I can show you how it works. It might be something like, um, oh, what is it? you know, forget it, Mike, just forget it. And uh, mirroring goes like this, it would go, hey, uh, and when I said this, did that, did I, uh, that hurt something? Or did, it, sound, it sounds like you're, are you feeling nervous about something? Uh, it's that approach where you literally are trying to die to yourself and ask questions that do not try to figure out the person, but have that person self-discover what's going on inside. That's, that's super helpful. It's also good to know that Kathy's the one who taught you about dominion. That's <laughs> want to note that. <laughs> that's right. So now, now we're going to gain some viewers. Now we're, we're going to help the female audience here. Yeah. No, so I like that because I've I've heard of mirroring used in the context before uh, of 
speaking back, essentially speaking back what the person just said. So as we're talking and you say, you tell me this whole story about how you felt uptight and you felt hurt. And my mirroring to you would be, yeah, Mike, that's interesting. So, I mean, it sounds like you were, you were really felt uptight and hurt in that moment. And, and I just felt the first time I heard that technique, I was just like, that's, that sounds so fluffy, you know, like I'm not actually really digging into anything about you. I'm just speaking back what you said and maybe creating the illusion that you, uh, for you to think that I care about you and I understand you because I just restated what you said. And that collides with what you've told me in the past, which I really found valuable, which is, you know, learning to ask good questions. And this sort of puts like, what's the end of trying to ask those good questions? And the end is, is to become a mirror for your spouse and, and to become one in that situation. And that's, that's really helpful. That's, uh, helpful for me, but also when I'm talking to guys about particularly asking questions and why we're asking questions, you, you sort of have, that's the end. That's the goal. That's the, uh, the, the why behind it. So that's really helpful. Yeah, it's well, I appreciate that. Um, the difficulty is you just touched on two points. First, uh, mirroring says nothing about motive. So you're right. If it's, this is my technique, to get to xyz uh, you're in trouble right um if the motive is um i love kathy something i said just set her off i don't know why 10 to 1 she doesn't either if i try to fix her right now mm -hmm. it ain't gonna work if i were to say and what I just said, did it, did it hurt in some way? The trick with mirroring, as we just took this uh, couple through it, is it requires aggressive listening. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it. And that, my friend, once you see the Netflix social dilemma, mm is getting harder and harder. Why? Oh, because we're, we're so distracted. I mean, and not even distracted as much as our brains just naturally will drift and to go to different places. That's right. Yeah. The, uh, the attention, the span of attention that you have is shrinking and the it's that shrinkage is accelerating i see it all the time it can be in a conversation with someone where i can almost count the words going out of my mouth and knowing well we just went past the seventh word and i can tell by this person it's just a little flicker in their eyeballs they're not paying attention anymore mm -hmm. oh they're feigning listening it's the polite professional thing to do um but they're not listening. Uh, bright light here, bright, bright light, bright lights, bright light, bright light. Mm -hmm. uh, they're like the dog on the walk, squirrel, 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 squirrel. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, we joke about it, but I'm in an age now. It's pathetic, I think. It's pathetic because we're being reduced to the level of animals on that. So we won't get into that for listeners. If you haven't seen the Netflix uh, documentary, The Social Dilemma. We have a column coming out on it this coming Monday. Um, and it, 
it's shrinking attention span and attention span is critical for aggressive listening. Here's what I mean by aggressive listening. One of the things that denotes love to someone, I'm going to make up a conversation now. Um, I don't know, Kathy, I just, I just really, I don't know. I just feel like fumble fingers. Like uh, I feel like an idiot sometimes around my dad I, you know, I just, I don't know why. Mirroring is, she goes, so are you saying that you, you just like feel like the, the stuff just slips through your fingers and it just, uh, you're just going to flop and fail and it's just not going to work? Now, how did she demonstrate aggressive listening? So it wasn't just passively restating what you said. I mean, it, it really drove, it, it pulled at one of the threads you said, it pulled at some of the words you said and went a little bit deeper. Bingo. That's it. There's nothing, nothing more, def well, I shouldn't say nothing more deflating. It is very deflating to say something like, um, you know, I just, I, I feel like I'm fumble fingers. I feel like I'm going to fail. And the person goes, uh, does you feel like you're just not good enough? <laughs> see the power of mirroring? Yeah, yeah. I don't see anything I said in what that person just said. Right. That's The mirroring is, you can tell I tried to manufacture in this moment was, uh, for having can't see, it slips through your fingers. Fingers, that's the word, yeah, fingers. Fingers. You heard that. You heard it. You heard it. Hmm. That's a great example. So let's try. You have this, uh, you have a couple, one who is on the more neat edge and end of the continuum, the other on the less neat continuum. See how we're really being just super positive about both people. <laughs> uh, Sorry, we, just a quick slide, side detour. I'm a big fan of Flannery O'Connor. If any of you are the Catholic writer, fiction writer, if you're not, take just 10 minutes, 12 minutes, and read her short story, A Good Man is Hard to Find. And uh, it's because she wrote differently than most Christians, but she also was fond of saying that the great heresy in today's in the Christian world today is everything's got to be positive and upbeat. Everything's got to be positive. And so instead of saying, well, you have someone who's neat and messy, you have to say, well, someone who's more neat and someone who's less neat. <laughs> <laughs> someone who's holy and someone who's less holy. I thought that's called sinner. Oh, no, no. We, we, don't, <laughs> we don't want to offend our listeners. All right, so we say, so you have someone who is more of a neat, neat, Neat and messy. Got it. And those they, those marriages are everywhere. You have to wait for a spark that generally will start a fire to start mirroring. And the spark is something that is said that is laced with incendiary emotion. Incendiary can be profanity, it can just be heat. It can be, uh, why do you always leave this stuff on the counter? 
And the, the loving couple understands the temperature just went up. And here's why, here's where mirroring does or doesn't take place. First Corinthians 13, Paul. Love doesn't seek to win this thing. It cares more for others than for self. So if you love your spouse the way God intends for you to love your spouse, you hear that and you say, I'm going to die to myself right now. And I'm going to mirror and try to discover where that heat comes from. Mm. Yeah, you got to go into the fire a little bit for that. Yes. And now that I mentioned that, this is why I happen to think that um, this is going to be extraordinarily difficult if you are not practiced in the, in the spiritual disciplines of silence, solitude, and fasting. Can you guess why? I could see a couple routes. I mean, one, as those are disciplines of of abstinence, of disengaging. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a when you practice those, you do get into the habit of sort of stepping outside of yourself for a minute, and uh, it's easier to do that in the moment of of heat or conflict. Um, but then there's also just the there's a level of introspection that naturally I think occurs in those moments where you can uh, you become a little bit more sensitive to your own emotional bents and, and leanings. Um, and so I could see that being helpful in that situation as well. Yes, good points. Um, so I was introduced to the disciplines probably 25 years ago, uh, Dallas Willard. But uh, silence is turning off the noise including the noise of your mouth. Mm. So first, many people do not dis do not mirror because why do you always leave this stuff on the counter? You know it drives me crazy. The other person not listening, they're already getting ready to rev their mouth up. Yeah. So I found that silence is the only way, in my opinion, the only way, and I've heard this from others who practice it, that we discover how much we talk. <laughs> That's good. I May mean, I happen to think one of the things that, um, you know, here's another aside. I see it in conversations. And frankly, I see it in communications. Now, I've often urged pastors to reconsider how long they preach. And there's a reason why TED, using uh, TED Talks, by using the best in neuroscience where they actually study the brain and how it pays attention, it's no more than 18 minutes now. If you're even with the most gifted, engaging speaker, after that, it plummets. And I find that most pastors have a tin ear to that. 
um, I think the discipline of silence would help for them to begin to look over what they're saying, saying to themselves or discovering, listening to their own sermons. I could have said that in a lot less time. Then you have to ask the question, so why are you talking so long? You know, joke is, you got to be a little bit of narcissism in you if you want to be a preacher. <laughs> you got to enjoy people looking at you if you want to stand there week after week. But that's that's an aside. Back to our lovely couple. So first of all, silence, solitude. Solitude I have found to be the welcome scouring, purging, or disemboweling of your life because now you are face-to-face -face with God who does know you inside out. And uh, though I have and continue to discover God is love, he is also not safe. So while Kathy mirrored, I also was even back then through quiet times was practicing some solitude. I just wasn't entirely, I wasn't completely or very well acquainted with why. But God would speak in the middle of those things and say, now here's why, Mike, here's why. Or you want to be the smartest guy in the room. That's disemboweling. That's, that's God trying to get us back to naked and unashamed. And solitude is, at least my life and, they, and, and countless saints and mystics before us for thousands of years. So silence turns off the noise and that will actually begin to rebuild neural pathways so you can pay attention longer. Solitude will also strengthen and deepen neural pathways because it is now as... Jesus put it when the disciples came back after they went into town to get some Chick-fil-A and came back and so what have you eaten? You know, you've been here alone. He goes, uh, I'm, I'm never alone. So in solitude, you find out you're never alone, but, uh, the three in one who are with you all the time, they know you inside out. And if you would care to listen. And then fasting. Now here's what fasting does. First time I fasted was an absolute utter failure. I was a pretty new Christian. Fasted for a day. Made sure I, I was in college. I didn't know Squadushi about why I was fasting. Someone just said it's good for you. Midnight, I raced to the kitchen because of the fast is over and stuff my face <laughs> so I can go to bed because my stomach's been killing me all day. <laughs> so I don't know who came up with that idea of fasting. And again, through Dr. Willard, first thing I noticed in fasting that I was not conscious of is how much I stuff my face to get the sense of everything's all right. Mm, yeah. And it was the strangest thing. I was traveling through North Carolina, um, one of my uh, early fasts, and I was at a filling station. 
And I looked around and said, oh, this was before OMG was popular. But if literally it was OMG, I've never seen food as ubiquitous. This is everywhere. So I'm looking at this gas station. It's a, there's a whole, I think it was a McDonald's, but it's part of the gas station, which should nauseate some of us to think of that combination. <laughs> but, uh, but it was more like, oh, my stars. Oh, my stars. But it was it was uh, how much that tactile um, calming of the spirit by stuff in my face, and we largely do it non-consciously, but it's just very common. There's the nerve endings and the sensations and the dopamine dump and all that comes with food that God designed for it to be when it's rightly done to give great pleasure to food. God was pleased to give us food and drink. And he says, I give you wine to gladden your heart. These are good things. But when they become idols or when we become ignorant of them, then we just stuff our face. So fasting, I literally had the image. I am pulling the plug on the stuff, my pleasure centers, pulling the plug. And that is the only way, Pat, that I know of, that, uh, I'm sorry, probably the most effective way, at least I've found, of pulling the plug on these pleasure centers and building in and, and, and letting the Lord build these deeper neural pathways of getting great pleasure in listening to people and asking questions. Yeah, I don't think people maybe would associate snapping back at someone with pleasure, but if I reflect on moments where Maddie and I have had these sparked interactions, it definitely feels good to let her have it, you know, and, oh, and yeah. being able to step away from that and realize, that, well, <laughs> I may think I'm saying something here, but I'm really just throwing. <laughs> That's all I'm doing. Oh, this is absolutely spot on, Pat. It's, um, you know, two things. Number one, my... My daughter, Jennifer, made a little plaque for me that I really treasure. She made it in high school. And it's a quote from Augustine. And Augustine says, my weight is my loves. Wherever my loves lead me, wherever they, whatever they are, that's where, that's where I go. We are what we love. This is the James K.A. Smith, one of his recent books, which is worth reading, listeners. You are what you love. And that includes sin. And that's why, if you ever noticed in the book of Hebrews, it says Moses forsook the passing pleasures of sin. The passing pleasures. Why does, why does Mike Metzger sin? I like it. It feels good. You're right. It's exactly. It, it releases a chemical in your brain that you go, dang, that felt good to take her head off. <laughs> now, you, some, I know someone's going to go, ain't no way, I wouldn't think that. And so let's just remind listeners of uh, this basic little tidbits on neuroscience. First of all, every second your brain processes approximately 14 million bits of information. It takes and captures these 14 million into 100 to 200 bundles to travel at lightning speed on neural pathways. We can be conscious of roughly five to seven of those super bundles 
the rest is non-conscious. You're not aware of it. That means 95% of our behavior is non-conscious. We're, we're not aware. And it's mirroring where someone else can help you discover what you're not going to discover on your own. And I think God designed us that way because we are not islands. We are not rocks. We are not, we are part of, we are made in the image of the triune God, three persons sharing one nature, marriage, two persons supposedly sharing one bonding, physically, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, and mirroring is the most effective way of getting there. Um, we are literally strangers to ourselves. And if, if you don't marry the best person possible that you bump into, don't marry under, under a sense of God's called us together. And if you don't mirror, your marriage will plateau. And you'll have someone who is neat and messy. And uh, you'll either work it around a couple of ways. One, you come up with a political solution. Political solution is, uh, I won't, uh, that's bad, probably a bad example after those lousy, I don't even call them debates last week. Uh, those, the insult, the oh. insult, uh, throwing <laughs> okay. insults. About it. Yeah. And that's what happens in marriages. Uh, yeah, come on and see Mary, you know, she's my messy wife. Yeah, I oh, ought to see Fritz. He's always freaking out over the stuff I leave on the counter. And uh, what you're really doing is the, the Greek word sarke, uh, for our, our word sarcasm, which is tearing of the flesh. You're tearing one another's flesh. And you can only do that so long where someone says, I'm going to a yes, we're married. We'll have sex when we feel like it. We'll have children. I'm keeping my distance from you. They will keep, they will create an emotional distance. That's the first step towards eventually getting divorced. The first step, not not the there's probably good book on this is uncoupling by diane vaughn it's probably about 10 steps in her research she did research on how her 20-year marriage came apart and it ended in divorce and she her research indicates and she would say uh, it started about 10 years into the marriage so we were uncoupling over the last 10 years and um, so she's a sociologist one of my top 20 books I've probably ever read. Stunning. And um, because you can see, even in our marriage to Christ, I can see times where I'm, I'm, I'm taking the first step right now, and I'm now aware of what that step is. I'm starting to uncouple. And um, so a lot of couples, they, they stay together. They don't get divorced, but they do. They have uncoupled. And it's because when I look in your eyes, uh, uh, you don't know me. You don't care about me. It can feel like you don't care about me. The only reason they say that is because you haven't demonstrated you care about me. And the, and the only reason they say that is that when we get into these spats, all we're doing 
there's an old joke. Most fights are not fights. They're history lessons. Mm. Well, you never clean up. Oh, never. You always say that. Well, I mean, the last time we... And so they become history lessons and they also become, once you start to use exaggerated terms, you never clean up. You are, you are starting to get in some deep poo in your marriage because that person is really saying, I know, I know if I was a rational person, I'm over the top right now, PO'd with you. But I don't know why all the reasons... And you frankly aren't asking enough freaking questions for me to figure it out. Now that's all happy in the non conscious. How it comes out is you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so eventually marriage is set up where I will, if I've had a, a husband, I know obviously men divorce this more than the women do, but if I've had, a, I've had them say this once, I've, I've heard this a thousand times is uh, they'll pull me aside and say, Mike, don't go there. We can't go there. Oh. So that's, so that's why you're missing several toes on your foot? Yeah, yeah. There's, that's, I stepped on a landmine. Mm. This, this is a minefield here. We, please, don't go there. So years ago, we had a couple. I had officiated their marriage 10 years before our wedding. And um, they, so they sat on the couch across from me and, uh, there had some. They were talking about they wanted to get some marriage counseling, and they were asking if I would consider doing that. And now, by the way, Pat, in this, uh, because I know them well, uh, I was I. They didn't know I'm spending most of this time asking questions to measure my dominion. Because mm. last thing I want to get into is a uh, counseling situation where one of the two extends more trust to me and the other is not as trusting hmm. um i'm too old for that <laughs> so i just ask a lot of questions it became apparent that she was hurting and not feeling heard and it became apparent that he is highly controlling and he didn't hear the number of times that whatever she would say, as soon as she was done, he would go, no, no, no. I, uh. and by the way, man, if you want a clue, that the first thing out of your mouth when someone begins to share their feelings is uh, about how you perhaps treat them, your spouse. The first word out of your mouth is no, you are digging quite a gr deep grave. So. Uh -oh. So Should true. be obvious, but <laughs> it's really not. It's it's unbelievable. It's not obvious. It's unbelievable. Speaking from well, experience. <laughs> yeah, I know this man well, and he is he um, he just doesn't pay attention. He's got this quick mind that served him well in business, but he's just a rat a tat tat. So I could just watch, however she, whatever she was saying, he's arranging how he's going to respond. And um, so this went on for 45 minutes and then she turned and said, so, you know, could you help us? And so here's what I did. I said, I'd be happy to. So here's all I'm going to ask you to do. I want you two to go home. 
and come to an agreement on what are the top three issues that you want us to talk about in counseling. Never heard back. Wow. Wow. If I was a betting man, I'd put a good chunk of money on. I think I know why. They just couldn't come to agreement on what those three were because they yeah. don't listen to each other. Wow. So here's another reason why mirroring is vital. There's an old adage, you solve problems, you manage conditions. Solve problems, manage conditions. A recipe for insanity or hurt is to try to solve a condition or manage a problem. The problem of not listening, if you try to manage that by uh, arguing one another, uh, minefields, ain't going to work. Yeah, we're not going to have a, a rich marriage. Um, but here's why it's more important. There are some conditions you can't fix. So I'm in an age where, you know, we know of couples that are happily married. Uh, the, the wife has had a double mastectomy. You can't fix that problem. You, you, can't, you can't say to your wife, well, God causes all things to work together for good. Now, I said that that's a blunt way, but you get the point. We know a couple that uh, they lost one of their children early on. The baby died. You can't fix that problem. You will grieve the rest of your life. You can grieve with hope. Grief can be healthy. It's, it can, it's fatal in a marriage if you don't grieve together. A lot of evidence that the couples come apart with the death of a child. And it's because one, well, after the divorce, people talk the way they do in like an exit interview in a company. They, then they tell the truth. I just never felt like you, you really bonded with me in the loss of our child. You didn't understand what I was going through. That's just, that's so... Mirroring is important because I can only speak for the men here, but I've, I've known some type A women too, but men, and then and Kathy accused me of this early on. She was right. It wasn't an accusation. It was an insight. Uh, stop trying to fix me, Mike. Right. And so I treated everything as a problem that had to be fixed. And uh, she in helping with my father, it uh, treated more like, uh, this is a condition. This thing goes way back. This is, I'm not going to, I married this guy when he's 27. I mean, he's 33 now. Uh, I mean, he's this ain't this thing goes deep. It may be something that he will have to manage through spiritual disciplines and a loving spouse for the rest of his life. It's not unlike someone, and by the way, there are evidence of this in neural pathways. This was the work of the Burnham Rosen group. That neural pathways they can shrivel 
by creating new ones, saying and paying attention, but they never go away. That's why in the Bible, sin is separation. It's not annihilation. So it's separation from God, but we're not annihilated. Sin, sin. If I, if I've grown with a problem of porn, the disciplines will give me separation from it. But separation from sin just means this: the porn never moves, but it's easy for me to slide back over and re-engage. And there are conditions in my life that, that are very easy to slide over and re-engage. So it's not a problem of so much to be solved. There are aspects that you, that you create solutions, but those aspects, it's not like I'm putting up a basketball goal and the problem is making it fit, you know, not quiver in the ground. So I sink it in concrete. There, problem solved, done. And it was. But I've done that before. I don't have to think about it again. A condition is something you're gonna have to think about the rest this the rest of your life. You can have victory, you can see great gains. But don't kid yourself, Mike, that you've come to a point where you would never be tempted to uh, adultery. You'd never be tempted to on and on. I mean, all these things. Um, so that's a fascinating thing. Uh, the the stuff on the neuroscience by the way of the brain and what's happening in social media that's the stunning stuff because it it releases chemicals that are so addictive that we might have a generation coming along that unless they practice intense spiritual discipline they will not have the capacity to do aggressive listening and if you can't do aggressive listening you will not do effective mirroring hmm. That's, I mean, that's really helpful, even just in understanding some of the things that people will poke fun at, uh, poke fun at Christians for, like just the idea of uh, the guy you knew who was freed from this thing and then went and cheated on his wife, you know, freed from sin and became yeah. a Christian and then cheated on his wife. And I think yeah. it's because we, we confuse those two things. We see sin as a problem to be solved sometimes and, uh, and not, not the condition aspect. That's helpful. That's right. That's a good. Ultimately uh, solved, but the it's sin and sin nature. Yeah. Sin, our sin nature is uh, the the problem has been ultimately solved and effectively solved in one aspect. But this whole aspect of working out your salvation, these three tenses of salvation, we have been saved, hundred percent by the death of Christ, are being saved. That requires. Colossians 1.27, a verse most evangelicals are not familiar with for some reason. We are privileged to fill up in our body what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And that then determines to what degree we will be saved. So we have been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Another way to put it, by the way, when you say will be saved is in heaven, our cup of joy will be full but the cups will be of different sizes. Hmm. And you can have a happy marriage. But if you want a marriage where the cup of joy is full and you want that cup to get larger and larger, one of the most effective ways is mirroring. Hmm. 